Hello. Hey. Damon, was that smoothie in your mouth? That was a sip of smoothie in my mouth. I didn't know <laughs> that it was coming right there. But what's up, y'all? This is Ergo. I'm Kiss. It is indeed. I am Damon. And what we do is showcase the folks reshaping the culture of our city and world for the more equitable and creative. We are hunkered down, sheltered in place, and we are on the line with a very special guest, um, Dennis Kosu this year. Hi, Dennis. Hey. Yeah, we're good. I kind of usually we do animal sound effects, but I jumped right in there and I was like, <laughs> I gotta fit this ho- horse Winnie in. Um, so uh, let, let's start where we start um, every episode, which is in this time, this moment, this season. How's the world treating you, and how are you treating the world? I mean, I think this world is treating people who've been mistreated for decades, if not centuries, in an awful way. Uh, me personally, I, I don't, I'm not feeling that brunt of it, but I'm feeling angry about it. It's, it's, it's driving me nuts, you know, seeing that in this time of pandemic, when you need more care, when we need more help, we're not we're not seeing that, you know, because I, I work down at Provident ER. I'm a part time ER nurse down there. I've been doing that for the last two and a half years. My main job is in the schools as a school nurse. But being an ER nurse is in my is, is in my history. I, I do, I've been doing that for a while now. And they shut the ER down on Monday morning. Provident, for people who don't know, is the first Black-owned and operated hospitals in the, in the country. The first open-heart surgery took place there by a Black surgeon. That is part of a proud history of Provident Hospital. And that it's located down in Washington Park near 51st and Martha King, right across the street from, from Diet High School. And on Friday, they basically sent an email to all their employees at 3.01 in the afternoon saying, as of Monday morning, the ER is closed. And it just blew me away. Wow. That, I mean, just, just hearing one, I didn't know that history. So I literally live, I live on it's a so I can actually okay. see the hospital. Right. Wow, that was bold of you, oh, yeah. just giving the cross streets. <laughs> Damn. Okay, let me go back. Uh, yeah, so I, and, they know, and they know you're there. <laughs> so I, I, live, I live across the street uh, pretty right. much from Diet, so I can actually see the hospital from my apartment. So one, I didn't know any of the historical significance. Um, and two, I guess I didn't really even going into this conversation place together because I, I saw like the little triage tent outside. But yep. I, but yep. in my imagination, even prepare for this interview, I don't know how I disassociated the fact that like this is my actual neighborhood. So one, just thank you for setting the table in, in, in that sense. And, and I hear your anger. So I just want to like throw you the lob to like explain why everybody should be so angry and how ridiculous and horrible that decision was. How, how is it that a resident of that community has not been made aware that a vital piece has been taken away? That to me is a crime. It's, it's a small ER. It's 16 beds. Um, and people go in there because they need help. They, they walk there, they drive there, and people who need help, they need it right then, some of them. You know what I mean? I've worked there and seen people coming in with heart attacks, seeing people who can't breathe because of their asthma has gotten so bad. I've seen people who needed drug overdose reversal medicine, like immediately, because they were not breathing. I've seen people come in there with traumatic wounds to their body and needed immediate attention. And what kind of communication has gone out to that community? It's, it's, it's a shame that they haven't done that. We got so frustrated with this situation, the nurses. We found out about it, like I said, Friday, Saturday. We were on the phone on Sunday night. 
we had to drag management kicking and screaming into a, a, a Zoom call, a video conversation about the impact that this was having. And because we were represented by a nurses union. But the thing that I was going there with is like, how is this impacting the community? You know, we are looking at the numbers. This is the same day that numbers are coming out about who's dying from COVID-19. African-Americans make up 29, 30% of Chicago's population. Over 70% of deaths are African-American. And Washington Park, as you know, is that's the neighborhood. Why are you taking resources away when we need more resources, when we need more help, when we need more attention to be given to an affected population, disproportionate affected population. It just, it made no sense. So we organized an action on, on that Monday. We went down there with a bunch of nurses and, and said, this is wrong. What they're doing is wrong. The thing that was also stunning, not just that they didn't let the community know, there's a, that area, I don't know what area it is, the police or whatever, have some big spot over on Wentworth and, um, and 51st. Some officer drove by and was like, oh, what are you guys doing out here? And we're like, they shut the ER down. She was like, they did what? And so they don't even tell wow. the police, you know, it's like, who did they tell? <laughs> you know, they, they, they said, we, we, we said, we put a press release out. I found out about it through Crane's business, Chicago, who, first of all, who reads Crane's? Not me. I mean, I'm not, not, no offense. You're not that's, a subscriber. I'm sure it's an excellent journal, you know, but <laughs> it's like, if that's the way you're going to let people know that you're shutting an ER down. That's bananas. You're not checking your stocks on call very often. I'm saying I don't really have any stocks. Maybe I should. Maybe now's a good time to buy. From what I understand, I just need some money. You know, maybe I'll, I'll invest in some. In That's some the trade off. Yeah. You know, I heard that the stocks in Royal Caribbean is very affordable right now. But that, anyway, um, so it's just like why? Why are they doing this now? It made no sense. Like, would they get? They wouldn't do this shit up in Streeterville. I was just reading an article that blew me away. Chicago has now become number one. This country is always number one in the wrong areas. Chicago became number one for the biggest death gap. There's this amazing uh, physician, this guy, Dr. David Ansel. He's works over at Rush. He, he worked at County many years ago. He was a resident and then worked there and then was part of the independent board. But he wrote this book called The Death Gap. If you, if anyone hasn't looked at the book, they got to look at it. But, but it basically talks we'll about We'll put how, it on the Ergo reading list. Too. Absolutely. Because he talks about how inequality uh, can be reflected in life expectancy. You know, racial inequality, income inequality is reflected in how long people live. In um, Streeterville, which is just north of the Loop, uh, they have an average life expectancy of 90. That's good. That's good for Streeterville. Down in Englewood, just eight miles. You could... Ride your bike between the two neighborhoods. This life expectancy in Englewood is 60. How do you have in one city a 30-year life gap? People have no choice about what they're born into, what kind of life that they have in front of them. And you can just buy where you're born. You will have a 30-year difference in your life expectancy. And in Streeterville, there's Northwestern Memorial Hospital. It's an amazing institution. They got level one trauma. It's a huge emergency room down there. I, I have friends, nurses who work down there. Could you imagine the, the residents of Streeterville being told, oh, in two days, by the way, we're going to shut down your ER. And you guys should probably make some kind of arrangements. And maybe people would get it on their Chicago trains business uh, Twitter feed or whatever. That They would have known. Right? <laughs> they would have been, been doing was setting their Audis on fire. They would have been parking their shit up in the driveway. they Beamers and their Audis and lighting them on fire. There's no way that they would tolerate that in Streeterville. They, they probably actually would just would have gotten the phone with Pritzker or Lightfoot. On, you know, they probably got speed dial for these politicians. So why is it okay to do that in Washington Park? So what was the what was the administrators of the hospital's answer? They, you know, the thing. This just oh, that's a great question. <laughs> You're the they, best, by they, the way. They said they said we care about your safety. 
we are really worried about the safety in the ER. It's not safe. I said, I've been working there for two and a half years. How did it become not safe on Monday? What was happening on Friday that we didn't know about? Um, wow, and they that's said, gaslighting well, at the highest form. Well, they say, you got to understand, we have uh, one nurse who was tested positive from COVID. I'm like, are you kidding me? What Name me one hospital in this entire world right now that doesn't have a nurse who caught COVID. Name one. Every single hospital that is treating COVID patients, they have medical people who've been testing positive because they catch it from the patients they're caring for. That's, that's part of it. Um, name how many have been shut down. Zero. So why is that the measuring stick? And if that is the measuring stick, there are over 400 positive reasons at Cook County Jail to be doing something about that situation. Because you have, uh, last I checked, hundreds of inmates, hundreds of staff who work there who've tested positive for COVID. So in the ER in Provident, one nurse is enough to shut it down for a month to, to do some kind of reconfiguration. And at the jail, we got hundreds of reasons. And what are they doing about that? It doesn't make sense yeah. to me. And that is both like within the county board's decision making power. So that's not even like 100 percent. It's not even like it's apples right. and oranges. Like this oh, is the, city. the same oh, apple cart. <laughs> right. Just tossing one apple over the shoulder, biting the other one. And even further, this is the same county who just built a refrigerated warehouse in an undisclosed location that's going to hold 2000 dead bodies. So we have two sides of this COVID equation. There is the dead body side, which they apparently have covered. They got that together. They got 2,000 spaces for 2,000 dead bodies somewhere. And there's the preventative side. This is the side that needs to be paid attention to. You want to stop people from getting this disease. You want to stop people from dying. If you're looking at the wrong side of the equation, you need to be opening up ERs. You need to be expanding healthcare. You need to be fixing the situation at the jail. You have two detainees have already died from this. It's, it's a death sentence to people going in there. In in the interest of journalistic disclosure, which we are not journalists, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Where can we and other folks find out more info about, you, you mentioned this 2000 uh, body. The Sun-Times. Uh, holding. I, you know, it, this okay. was not yeah, Glenn Greenwald. This was not, you know, some. Yeah, I, I Googled it. Yeah. 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 Okay, just wanted to it, get it, that out there because yeah. I didn't see that story. Right, yeah. right. No, and I, it's infuriating. <laughs> no, I, I literally, I Googled Cook County COVID and the stories that come up is the jail. And then they this warehouse story, which I was like, wait, what? And then this 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 foolishness from Preckwinkle where she said, well, the reason we shut the ER down is because one nurse tested positive. And I was like, the three, these three things just don't add up. So it, you, you made this very wow. apt yeah. and poignant contrasting between these two institutions basically right um and i know that like one in your brain you're doing that but also physically you were in both of those spaces right. so I, I know to today yeah. you uh were actually in cook county jail Correct. as doing your work as a nurse right um and so one what information can you and do you want people to know about what that experience was like right um and, and what are the any misconceptions that you've heard or you know, it's right. just it it ha it is such right. a central piece of what's happening right now, and I feel like the right. the barriers of information have never been higher. I mean, this this jail is the biggest jail in the country. It can hold ten thousand detainees if it has the capacity for that. My understanding is the recent census has it about four thousand, maybe four and a half thousand people there. Um, some months ago, I think it was at it was at six thousand. Um, it is a humongous institution, and a lot of people there 
are, are not there because they've been convicted of jack squat. They are there because they are poor. They are there because they've been scooped up in our so-called justice system that it's like a, a net that catches the, the minnows, like people who really have done very little, to, like a traffic violation or just some bullshit. And then you have criminals that just go free, you know, um, who are committing, you know, I think real injustices against humanity, like the insurance companies, drug companies. That's a different story. In any case, it's a huge institution. It's the same story. It's just a longer story. <laughs> exactly. It's a huge institution. And it's like, it's been, it's been chronically uh, man, mismanaged, dirty, people that are not treated correctly. And so what I saw with my own eyes was stuff that people know already, but it was it was awful in the sense of you have people there who are not getting the quality of care that they need. I had two patients who's, who were diabetics. These are young, young people in their early 20s, and they w- did not get their medicine yesterday. And so lo and behold, when I was able to get get through them and check their sugar, it was uh, it could the mach- it was so high the machine couldn't even read it. So I followed I followed the protocols that we we'd have. We, I gave them the medicine, had them drink water, went back and checked them. One of them, his sugar came down quite a bit, which is good. The second one, we had to send to this other higher level of care area within within the jail. And the reason they're not getting their medicine is there's just not enough staff there. Like I was talking to the nurses there. And there's just not enough staff. And this is not the fucked up thing. I'm sorry to say bad words. You're fine. The thing that is really disturbing is that this is not new. None of this is new. The death gap that I was talking about did not just appear yesterday. That's been been the case. Black people have been dying younger for a long time. And it's like, why hasn't that been a national emergency for decades? And I guess the only silver lining of this pandemic, of this crisis, of this abomination is that it's 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 turned the lights on to stuff that's been happening for years and something's got to be done about it yeah i i i want to talk more uh, in uncovering like you know the facts of the reality i want to talk also more about like how you're doing and how you're processing how you're maintaining right because uh, i think there is this like glorification uh, but also uh, this great distance with, from healthcare workers right now. Um, and, and often, I think, in folks' imagination, there is no conception of healthcare workers in incarcerated spaces. Um, and so, you know, you are in, um, a, you know, a, a literal torture factory, right? Like you are in a hellhole um, right. trying to bring health and care in a place that is designed to bring sickness and death. Um, and so h- how just in your spirit and in your body, uh, are you functioning in that space? Are you maintaining? How are you recovering? I hear and feel the anger. Um, and, and I can imagine how overwhelming that can be while you're also doing very important, very vital work. So just like in terms of your sense of self and being able to just process and comprehend all that you're seeing and all that's being asked and all that's needed right now, uh, just just how are you, are you living with all of those complications? I mean, the only thing that, that makes me get through it, to be honest with you, is to keep struggling for something different. We can't get through this and, and and keep doing the same thing. It's hard to think about because I, I went home at 3.30. I walked out of that place. I have the freedom to do that. I was exposed to COVID um, uh, maybe about mid, late March. I actually, I went to Providence. This was March 21st. I went there because I worked there part-time. Was gonna, I was going to do like a 3 to 11 shift. And I went there and there was no, we didn't have nurses there either. It was short-staffed as well. So I ended up doing 16. I just stayed overnight. 
And when I when I on my way home, I was it was hard for me to keep myself together emotionally, just thinking about this is a preview of what we're gonna see coming down the pike. And that was very disturbing, deeply disturbing. So I was exposed. The reason I found out is because two days later, my boss called me and said, oh, you worked with two people who tested positive, you know, so maybe you've been exposed. Maybe you should get, maybe you should isolate yourself. And I'm like, well, shit, you should have told me that five days ago before I had, uh, you know, dinner with my in-laws, my 70, 75 year old in-laws, one of whom has serious medical issues. I would have liked to know that information, you know, beforehand. And the thing that really disturbed me is like, what if I just killed my my parents, you know, my, my wife's parents? That's the dark place that my mind was going. And at the same time, I feel relatively privileged in the sense that I have a, a, a decent job. I have I have a house that I live in. I have a basement that I could isolate in. It has a bathroom. It made me think that I'm relatively privileged in the sense that I have this basement. I have this ability to get what I need. And a lot of people don't like I work my main, I, before I came to the schools, I worked at Stroger hospital in the ER and it really, I knew that healthcare in this country was shit. I knew that, uh, poor people and people of color did not, were not treated correctly. I would come in the morning at seven o'clock in the morning in the ER every day when I started there. And there have been people who've been waiting there 12, 14 hours to see a doctor. And these are, you know, people who are undocumented, people, people of color, poor people. And it's just like, why? This is this is the richest country in the history of histories. And you have people who just need basic who, who need like basic stuff. Like, why are we putting them through this torture chamber to get their medicine or to to God forbid they're having a heart attack and they're like sitting in some damn waiting room because it's just that's not big enough for them. And so this has been an old problem. And Stroger's always been like that. And, and, and I thought, and I said, let me go do something else because it was stressing me out. Like, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm relatively healthy. Working at Stroger, I was there for about, about just over eight years. My blood pressure was high and it was only high at work. <laughs> you know, go figure. And that's a lot of nurses. <laughs> like, I, I, we work next, so ER at Stroger is separate from trauma. Trauma's its own entity. It's got its own nurses. It's run by surgeons. And you know, Stroger at Trauma, it's always in the news. This, that's where the knife and gun club goes. That's where mm-hmm. the car accident goes. That's where the motorcycle people go. That's a rough spot. And when I interact with those nurses there, you could see that their sense of self, their sense of other had to have been deeply uh, damaged, I think. Um, in, I was there for eight years. Like I said, three trauma nurses died before their time. And I, and, I, and I think that's related to the job that they have there. Because what do you see? You see people coming in full of holes and jumping off stuff and all kinds of bad stuff. And that's got to that's got to damage you on some level. And so I think that coming out of this thing, there's going to be a lot of need for healthcare workers to get help. Nurses already have a higher suicide rate than non-nurses. There was that nurse in Italy that killed herself a few weeks ago. You have serious mental health damage happening to people everywhere, you know, and we're all going to need help. So obviously there's so much conversation right now. And like Damon alluded to earlier, this kind of like tokenizing lionization of healthcare workers without uh, an understanding of what the implications actually are in people's lives right now necessarily. Are there any 
misconceptions or things that you're seeing shared on the internet or hearing people say over and over again that like are making you go like, no, you're missing the point here. I think it's a good point about lionization. That's it's done in many different areas of our society. Look at like the military, like, oh, anybody who served you, you, you should be put on this pedestal. And, and obviously people who risk their lives for things should be uh, should be revered. But then you look at the reality of how they're actually treated. And there's a huge disparity. You know, my grandfather, he fought in the, and uh, he volunteered to join the, the Marines during World War II. He fought in the Pacific. He was in uh, Guam, Guadalcanal, the invasion of Okinawa. Like he saw some, he participated in some fucked up shit, no doubt. And he got messed up by it. And they were like, yeah, just go get a job. Just do your thing. Raise four kids and uh, everything's going to be great. But he would wake up According to my grandma, they're screaming for years from nightmares. He never, never talked about the war because you can only imagine like that's not something I want. To. So this whole idea that these veterans get together and like talk about their great times of being a hero. It's like, no, that's I don't think that's actually factual. And I think that there's a similar probably dynamic with with healthcare workers right now where there's, oh, yeah, we should support them, raise them up. That's right. But you want to raise them up. You need to change how healthcare is run. What damages me as an individual, as a nurse, is seeing the tragedies, the unnecessary suffering that people are going through because of the way healthcare is operated. We spend more on healthcare than any other country on the face of the earth and have some of the worst outcomes. Where is this money going? It's going to the insurance company. Uh, profit lines. It's going to the drug company profit lines. It's going to these hospital profit lines. It doesn't actually go to care for people. And I think that's damaging to the souls of anybody who works, whether you're a doctor or a nurse or whatever, because you can't provide the care that you want to do that. So there's that contradiction between what you were trained to do, what you go in there to do, what your intention is to do, and what you're able to do. And I think that damages people. That's really profound, because I think even when we those with the best intentions or analysis, we usually talk about the flaws of how the healthcare system affects its worker and its labor in terms of like dollars and cents and like hours work and like strain on the body. I think there's a disregard for this deeper psychological yeah. impact and this emotional impact that you're talking about um, and that you're expressing. It's, it's tragic, but also in a very beautiful way um, that, that I, you know, the replication, the reproduction right. of trauma uh, that is not going to go away and is going to be like a generational yep. imprint. It's going to have like literal epigenetic markers on us, right? Like our children are oh, going yeah. to know what this is like just in their bodies. Um, and speaking of which, I kind of, you know, as a transition, I, I know you, you've done a lot of your work in Chicago public schools as a nurse. Um, and we know that schools are closed right now. Uh, but in terms of how Chicago public students health right. and health system yeah. works yeah. in general and then the divergence of is it dangerous or are there um unknown risk or negligence or 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 neglect that's happening with the schools being closed as that being like a primary source of health care for a lot of young people in the city many of which are are facing um housing insecurity and homelessness Absolutely. I mean, we're that's going to make you talk about how fucked up. I mean, it's, it's the world we live in. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, I, I naively thought like literally a part of me thought when I left the ER, like, oh, this is going to be less stress. There's going to I'm going to be able to help kids who are going to set them on this right path for a lifetime of, of doing healthy things. And 
Because, I mean, I described earlier what, what went on in the ER at Stroger. It's like, it's a sign of, it's just, it was every day. You just see what the product of racism, of poverty, of inequity was every day. The, the, the physical impact of that upon adult bodies. Because that's what, that's what I dealt with. And going to the schools, I thought maybe they would be different. But it was almost, in some ways, worse. Because it's the same stories, except with children. You know, it's like... Wait a minute. <laughs> Let me go back to the ER where at least I don't have to think about what the what's in store for these people, you know, because it's it's the same stuff. It's like poverty, racism, like people living in apartments like four or five deep in, in two bedroom basements and not having enough uh, food, not having enough resources. And and now we're gonna be transitioning to this like online learning, like people where where's the internet? Where's this device that they're going to be accessing education? Prisker talks about oh, just if you're sick, just call your doctor. Who got a doctor? You know, like how many people actually <laughs> have a doctor that they can reach out to? That's it's not really a thing for a lot of people. Um, it's this very like kind of like uh, like faux nostalgia, like small town thing. Of right. like, yeah, I just got him on speed dial. He walks up Main Street. He comes with his little bag. It's right. like that's not. For a lot Even of people, the ER is their doctor. That's 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 where they get their med refills. And that's and again, it's like it's, this is shining a spotlight on all the problems we have in our society, especially around primary care. Like this country has some of the worst um, statistics when it comes to managing blood pressure and diabetes. It's like literally like 40, 50 percent of people with blood pressure and diabetes is not getting properly managed because they don't have access to medicine. Like so many patients I see in the ER or just on the street let alone the ER, but like I'm, I take insulin every other day or I share my blood pressure pills with my wife. And like part of me is mad at them, but it's like, why am I getting mad at a victim here? That's not somebody, they're not choosing to do that. This it's just, it comes down to everything in healthcare is about, does it make money? And if you don't make money, they don't care. You can die. This country, you're free to die in the streets. So in this, in this moment of crisis, are are there types of exploitation that you're seeing um, it, through those logics that uh, you aren't seeing a lot of attention being brought to, like ways that you know right. whether it's supplies being gouged or all kinds it's just of profit being like prioritized in this moment in ways that are well yeah. It, speaking of profit, the thing that blew me away today at working at Cook County Jail, they've brought this company in. Not this company. It's, yeah, it's a company based. It's a, a nurse agency. So some nurses work for these like private agencies, and they basically send you wherever to do work. And so this dude came here from another state. But now he's he came up here with a bunch of other people. They're staying at a hotel downtown and they are getting paid ninety four dollars an hour, which is pretty good money. I never I've never heard of that kind of money for nursing, but hmm. he's staying at a hotel and they, they got him working 14 shifts in a row, 12 hour shifts. And so the county is paying for this. The county clearly has somehow maybe Tony opened up her glove box in her car and found these hundreds of thousands of dollars that didn't exist before. <laughs> so my thing is like, why is it that they have money on a Friday to do something to try and fix this problem that they've had for decades, you know? So why is it that there's money for some money for crises now when there's not money for the slow burn crisis that's been going on for 
brown and poor people in this city for decades. The exploitation is is multi-level. You know, in the sense that this nurse on, on some level is making serious bank coming in here and doing that. But at what cost? It's like, who's going to work 14 days in a row at 12-hour shifts? I mean, I don't even know how you'd be able to string a sentence together after five shifts. I mean, I, when I worked at the hospital before in an ICU, we'd work 12s. After the third 12, my brain was mush. And it's not, it was not safe for anybody. It's not safe for the patients. It's not safe for you. And if you're working at you know, Cook County Jail, and if you make a mistake on that third, fourth, fifth, 14th day, you, you might catch something. You better need that money to get whatever kind of therapy, medical attention at the end of it. So it's, it's, it's the problem. This, it's all about money. It's got to change. We got to get rid of this profit incentive for healthcare. So my, my last question for you is a two-parter. Um, one, you know, for our listeners who are, you know, many of whom are sheltered in place right now, what should they know? And more importantly, uh, whether it's in regard to Cook County, in yep. regard to Provident, in regard to anything else that you're seeing, what would you want to direct people to be doing right now? Um, and, and the second part is, what's something that you've been doing day to day that's helping you be okay? I mean, those are linked together in my mind because I've been an activist for, for a long time and and fighting injustice is something that it, it's not just... And it's maybe selfish to say this, but it does. It helps me feel like I have some control, even though I don't. <laughs> I don't know if anything that I do makes a difference, but at least I feel like I tried, you know. And so what we've done as nurses at Provident, we've started a petition. We're asking people to sign the petition. We're asking people to call Cook County President Preckwinkle and tell her to, to please change her mind. We're asking people to call um, a couple of the commissioners who represent the area of Provident as well as the person, uh, this guy, Deer, uh, Commissioner Deer and Commissioner Lowe. Lowe is the one who represents the area, and then Deer is the one who represents, he's part of the health commission, to call him and say, come on, we gotta, you got to do something different. The thing that's just astounding is that up the street from Providence, literally you could walk there, is McCormick Place. They have converted McCormick Place into a 500-bed hospital in a matter of days. They brought in 400 workers 24 seven they're they're working they spent 13 million dollars on that project converting to a hospital how come they can do that in such a quick turnaround time but if you really care about the safety of providence which is basically what they're trying to do is put up some plexiglass walls i'm not a carpenter i'm not going to say that that's an easy thing maybe it's complicated but i just don't see how it would takes four weeks to do that you should they should apply equal attention that they have given to McCormick Place, have those contractors pay those carpenters triple time, whatever it takes to have them working around the clock and fix that place. So that's what we're asking as nurses is to is to or as as nurses we're asking the community to be become aware of this uh, issue. I'm glad you're gonna post information about what's going on there. And I'll I'll definitely forward the petition that people sign. We're talking about next steps at, at the hospital. We actually, I was part of an action yesterday, uh, and there's also a, a, a call to decarcerate the jail. I was just thinking this on the way down to work. It's like right now, downtown hotels are vacant. There's nobody in them. Tourism has been uh, has been wound down because of COVID. So they're worried about these people who don't haven't been been convicted of anything. These uh, 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 people, these detainees at Cook County, let them stay down at the Palmer. 
Let them sit down at the Sophie Tall. You, if you, you, can, you can post one of those Cook County officers down there. Have them hang out there for two weeks. They can uh, watch TV, whatever. If that's the whole idea is to not release them into general pop into the general city, have them stay downtown to hotel. There are resources that could be put to work here in this city if they were serious about it. And they need they, the people who run the city need to do the right thing. Thank you so much for for bringing all of you to this conversation and you know the the drive and the passion and the work that you're doing at at the risk of doing the lionizing thing that I talked about before. Thank you for doing what you do and being who you are in this fight both uh you know for a long time in the schools I appreciate uh, that. and and in this moment um yeah I I just yeah. I just want to say say one thing just like it's not even a question but just to 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 continue that the uh the gratitude um you know on our show we, we, we're movement focused. We talk to a lot of activists. Um, and I think often we are highlighting incarceration, right? You know, I, okay. I, I identify as part of, you know, a long lineage of abolitionist work. Right. Um, and so, so often in that we are seeing these same logics of oppressed people, marginalized people, disenfranchised people can die and that's okay. And in that right. fight, we're fighting against this notion of there's some deservedness, right? Like these are dangerous people. These are violent people. Um, and we are all at risk. Uh, but, but what you brought is that no, this destruction is holistic of, of vulnerable, poor, marginalized, disenfranchised and oppressed people because people in a hospital, people who are depending on provident are not of any danger or are not undeserved, even though folks who are incarcerated are deserving as well. Absolutely. Uh, human seeing beings. that same logic. Uh, or even if it's not logic, right? Just system systematic work with the it's same right. impact uh, <laughs> of <laughs> letting people die. Um, and it is the people that are are in the most need. Um, I don't think I would have been able to get there as clearly without how without you sharing your experience and your perspective. So I just want to thank you on, on how you you know illuminated just how important, but also how destructive our systems are. And I appreciate all all your work too, because I think the more that we can get the word out there, the more we can talk to people. We have to, we can't go back. That's the thing. Wherever we come out on the end of this COVID equation, we can't go back to the way things were on so many levels. We can't go back to the way things that healthcare is run. We can't go the way back to the way that incarceration is run. We can't go back to the way workplaces are run. We have to do something different. We can do something different. And everyone who's been struggling and have, is struggling right now, that gives me hope for that better world. Thank you so much, Dennis. Thanks for being on the show. And uh, we'll be back uh, on the line with another person reshaping the culture of our city and world for the more equitable and creative. Much love to the people. Peace. Rosie. Daniel. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Look who's here in the studio. It's me. How's it feel to be in here? Well, I was a little nervous uh -huh. earlier, but mm -hmm. now I'm a little more calm. Wonderful. Them staring directly <laughs> into your eyes. But we do that all the time anyway. Yeah, but there's not always all this equipment in between us. Well, maybe this will help. Let's play a game. Okay. So I'm thinking maybe like a taboo. Taboo. Like I'll give you some clues and then you'll have to guess what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Does that know, make sense? I know how to play taboo, Daniel. Oh, you'd prefer if I did not taboo-splain? Yes, please. All right, let's get started. Timer on the clock. Ooh. All right, first up. Okay. It's an independent podcast app. Got it. It embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. Mm-hmm. It has no exclusives. Mm-hmm. No premium content. All right. No paywalls. Great. And it's a great podcast app for everyone. Mm-hmm. Do you think you know it? I think I do. Huh. What do you think it is? 
Sounds like the Overcast app. Beow, beow, beow. Toots got it. Yay. Look at that. I win. Nicely done. How does one get the app? Well, if one were to want to get the app, one could get it for free in the App Store. Fantastic. Cool. You going to check it out? I might. Very wonderfully non-committal. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get out of here. Bye.